All right, we are in a series on the Beatitudes, but let me say a couple of things before we uh, go there. The first is I want you to take this insert in your worship folder seriously. We want you to be praying for our missionaries. Actually, one of these 16 couples is my um, daughter and her husband, and if you aren't praying for them, I'm going to get after you. Uh, just a little guilt there, just an appropriate uh, guilt. The second thing I want to say is you're going to be hearing us, as, as Ted did, uh, talk for a while now about the importance of serving and inviting you into the stream of serving here at Wheaton Bible Church. And I want to give you just a little context for this. You are never more like Jesus Christ than when you are serving. I mean, think about that. Actually, one of the ways you can tell that Jesus is working in you, Jesus is living you, is you desire to serve, and you do, in fact, serve. You're looking for opportunities. Now, we as a church want to help you. We want to help you become more like Jesus. We want to help you experience the grace of serving. So we're going to be presenting different opportunities. We're going to be talking about this uh, from time to time over the next couple of months. And I want you to think very seriously about that. Some of you are serving in a variety of different areas. We had a big dinner here last night for a lot of people that are serving in the parking lot and greeting and in, in a variety of different areas out front. And we affirm that. We thank that. Some of you, though, are new. You're, you're new to the faith you're new to the church, and you're still looking. We are here to help you. We want you to serve. So think about this, pray about this, and then figure out some ways that God is leading you to plug in, okay? Oh, that was bad. <laughs> how, how about I say this again, and then you can respond, okay? Okay, good, 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 we're better. And you're going to pray for the missionaries, right? Right, okay, good, good. All right, this is week number three. We are in this series on, on, on the Beatitudes. Good stuff, remarkable stuff. And, and, and frankly, it's, it's really counterintuitive. It's really radical. It's really uh, countercultural because these Beatitudes of Jesus are crazy wonderful. They're wonderful and they're crazy. They're just out there. And they seem odd to us. They seem odd to me. They seem odd to you. And today as we come to the third... Jesus wants to speak to those of you who want to go beyond the superficial in your relationship with God. I hope all of you do. Those of you that want to go beyond the superficial in your relationship with others. Maybe it's marriage, work relationship, friendships. Uh, you, you, you want to go deeper. You want those to be more meaningful. Jesus uh, wants to speak to you in this third beatitude, this crazy beatitude about how you can handle your problems better and how you can control your insane desire to be in control. Oh, I'm not, uh, I'm not controlling. I, I just want everything to be my way. We, we all struggle with this. Now, what you may not realize is our Lord has given us these eight beatitudes. They're pithy statements, short statements, sort of like, like Proverbs, to help us get down the road toward a life of happiness, contentment, and joy. That's why each beatitude begins with the word blessed. Uh, these beatitudes are about the best life, the blessed life. 
the happiest life, the, the secret to happiness. As a matter of fact, one way to think about the advent of Jesus Christ is that Jesus came into the world because he was unhappy with your unhappiness. And he came to do something about that. He's unhappy with your alienation, your, your brokenness, your self-centeredness, your sin. So these eight Beatitudes are Jesus' happiness gift to us. Uh, but they can't be our way. They've got to be his way. And his way is uh, fundamentally different th than the world's. A and maybe as much as is in any of these Beatitudes, uh, uh, we see how different that way is in this, our, th our third Beatitude. Uh, which, as much as any of the other Beatitudes, really has a relational focus, a relational or, or orientation. Now, before we get to the Beatitude, I just want to say one other thing, and that is I, I want you to observe that these Beatitudes, as we go through this series, they're not commands. They begin with blessed, not be. They're statements, they're not commands. In other words, Jesus is not saying, okay, suck it up, and pull this off on your own, under your own power. Rather, these Beatitudes, think of them as snapshots, a series of eight snapshots or, or, or pictures of what people, as I said last week, who serve in Jesus' administration look like. What Jesus' people, what people who are alive in Jesus, love Jesus, who are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, what they look like, pictures, snapshots. And all eight of them, including especially maybe ours today, are so radical, they're so out there, they're so different, they're so impossible that Jesus Christ will eventually go to the cross in Jerusalem and, and lay down his life. Because he knows about, apart from the forgiveness he offers us, the righteousness he infuses us with, the new life that comes from him dwelling inside us when we come to Jesus by faith, he knows that there's simply no way we can do these on our own. Now I say that because depending upon your background or your church orientation, I want you to understand these beatitudes aren't the means, they are not the means to salvation. Instead, they're pictures of what saved people, Jesus' people, people who serve in Jesus' administration look like, what the power of the Holy Spirit is doing in their life. So grab your Bibles. Turn it on, grab a Bible in front of you, and turn to the very first book in the New Testament. It's the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at, well, we're going to look at a lot of different passages, but our beatitude is encased in just one verse, verse 5. Matthew 5 and verse 5. So follow with me. We're going to put it up on the screen because it's so uh, brief. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now I want to do three things with this statement, blessed are the meek. I want to spend a fair amount of time on the front end talking about what it is, and then I want to talk about how we acquire it, the key to acquiring it. And then I want to conclude by asking the, the question, why is this such a battle for us? Uh, why does this beatitude seem sort of odd to us? I'll, I'll address that throughout. 
So let's talk about what meekness is. First of all, I want to say on the front end, meekness is not weakness, okay? Uh, meekness is strength. The biblical concept is it's strength under control. The word in classical literature, classical Greek, was used to describe an animal that had been tamed. Now think a horse that has been broken and made rideable because it's been broken. Now the horse is still as strong as ever, but it's literally been harnessed. That energy has been harnessed uh, for good purposes. Now, I say that because meekness does not mean, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, Jesus is not saying, well, you never speak up. You always keep your mouth shut. You never have an opinion. Uh, or Jesus is not saying, tolerate injustice or abuse. And meekness is not spinelessness. It's not powerlessness. It's power, uh, it, rather, it's power under control because of your Christ-centeredness. So uh, Jesus is really saying when he says, blessed are the meek, that what we do today as humans in the, in the physical realm is really what God does in the spiritual realm. So the best engineers come to a river uh, decades, decades ago, like the Niagara, and they see the power, and they see the, the turbulence, and what do they do? They harness it and transform it into energy uh, that supports and supplies millions of people. So the best life, the blessed life, blessed are the meek, the happiest life is God supernaturally harnessing your life, channeling your life, transforming your life, making you meek so you are strong in him but subdued. Now, let's talk about this relative to our problems. As I said last week, to be poor in spirit, that's the first beatitude is uh, to understand that your problems are beyond you. You know, I, I, I'm really over my head. To mourn, the, the second beatitude means you, you see your problems are due to sin. It's not just that you know your problems are beyond you, but you know there's something deeper and more sinister to your problems, and that's this thing called sin, often your sin. And so we come to the third beatitude. What is it in relationship to problems? Well, what it means is that you understand your biggest problem is you. And so you're meek. And if you're meek, and to the extent you're meek, it keeps the first two from crushing you. The knowledge that your problems are beyond you and that your, your, your problems are due to sin. That can be overwhelming. That can be an incredible load. How, how, how do we survive in that? Well, you survive because you're meek, and it's your meekness that keeps the first two beatitudes from crushing you. Because when you face your problems, you usually have two responses. One is, man, you get angry. You get really, really angry. You're angry at the perpetrator, you're angry at the world, you're angry at the injustice, you're angry at yourself sometimes, and we blame. I talked about this last week. We, we blame others. We have, we have this tendency to buy the delusion that our biggest problems lie outside us when the reality is they lie inside us. 
And so we go through life. We're way more angry. We tend to blame way more than we realize. And that's the first way you can respond to your problem. Or the second is you can be what Jesus is calling you to be. You can be meek. You can be humble. And you can say, yeah, here I go again. Boy, I, I really made a mess. Or man, I'm on the receiving end of this uh, thrust and it, and it really hurts and I, I'm disappointed but you know the reality is I'm not surprised. We live in a sinful fallen world. I'm surrounded by sinful fallen people and I'm a sinful fallen person. And you're meek. There's a well-known Christian writer, a, a, a famous Brit, lived a while ago by the name of G.K. Chesterton. Brilliant thinker had the ability to, to, to say things um, really insightfully. And one time a London newspaper asked a, a group of leading thinkers to respond to one question, and the question was this, what is the biggest problem in the universe? And so all these thinkers sent in all these long documents um, indicating their response. And what did Chesterton do? Chesterton sent, sent in one line. And he said, the biggest problem in the universe is me. Me. That's meekness. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. It's understanding that you, not your husband, not your wife, not your kids, not your job or lack of job or the money constraints or this or that, your, your background. I talked about my background last week. Understanding it's not that, but it's you that's your, your biggest problem. So what do you do? You humble yourself before God and you humble yourself before others because you know who you are apart from Jesus Christ. Uh, so what that means is that meekness is not self-pity. You don't get lost in the sinkhole of, of self-pity, but rather meekness is a life of continual repentance. You look at your stuff, you own your stuff, and you say, yeah, that was me. In this situation, that was me. I blew it. And you confess it. You confess it to God. If you have to go to others, you go to others. And you turn from it and you, you turn to God. You have people in your life that help you in the, in the hard areas and in, in the rough areas. I would have never gotten this far in my life, my spiritual journey, if over the years I didn't have a group of godly men that I can be brutally honest with, who can be brutally, brutally honest with me. And you know what that does? It produces meekness because they say th some things to me that are really tough. We all need those people in our lives. Meekness is not self-pity. It's a life of continual repentance. And by the way, let me, let me just say parenthetically, if you ever find yourself thinking or hear someone say, you know, I believe God can forgive me, but I just can't forgive myself. That is not meekness. That is pride. Uh, it's not, uh, not meekness. It's saying, I, I'm too bad. It, it's saying, I refuse to accept God's grace. It's making too much of you and too little of all that God has done for you on the cross. So these first two beatitudes, poor in spirit, uh, mourning, have a, a fundamental theological orientation. You're poor in spirit, you mourn in spirit. 
And this beatitude, this third, blessed are the meek, has a fundamental uh, uh, relationship or relational orientation. It's rooted in theology, of course, because meekness always has two dimensions, and the first is you're meek towards God, and the second is you're meek towards others. But it's strength under control. It's not being a doormat. It's not rolling over and playing dead. So there's this God word and this man word aspect. Let me give you some biblical illustrations. Book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. In deference to his nephew, Lot, who was culturally, and in that day culture was a big deal, culturally his inferior, uh, says to Lot, hey Lot, you go first. You choose a property. And then I'll go second, and I'll choose what's left over. Look at this, Genesis 13. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Now Lot is the nephew. Abraham is the superior culturally. Is not the land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. In that culture, you didn't do that. So what is that? That's deference. What is meekness? Meekness is deference. It's letting other people go first. It's Abraham with Lot. Now 500 years go by, fast forward 500 years in the Old Testament. We come to the book of Numbers and Moses, brother and sister, are attacking Moses. They're frustrated with the fact that he's getting all the honor, all the power, all the authority, and they're getting just the crumbs. So they're, they're complaining, they're bad-mouthing Moses, and God is about to judge them. But before he does, right in the midst of this family dynamic, this family tension, we have this verse, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now like Abraham, Moses was a heavy hitter. He was hardly a weak man. He led the nation out of Egypt, out of bondage. But, but Moses doesn't defend himself in, in the midst of this family crisis is family argument not once instead we have this verse about his humility right in the middle of an argument so what is meekness well meekness for abraham was deference it's the ability to defer it's the ability to say hey you you go first we, we don't do that very often and with moses it's the ability not to get defensive Not to fight back, not to attack as you're being attacked because your confidence is in God. And you're humble like Moses was humble. Now there's more. We, oh, let's fast forward another 500 years in the Old Testament. We come to Jonathan. Jonathan is a prince. His father is Saul, the, the, the king. And by rights, Jonathan will become the next king. But there's this day, this moment, when Jonathan comes to a, a no-name by the name of David, and what does Jonathan do? Jonathan gives David his sword, his princely sword, his royal robe. 
and tells David, in effect, God is calling you to be the king, not me. I deserve it by rights. My father is the king. Uh, you, you have no background, no name, no, no status in our uh, Hebrew culture, but God is calling you to be the king. And Jonathan says, I'm cool with it. I love you, David. That's meekness. Now, some time goes by. David becomes one of the greatest kings on the face of the planet. And like people in power and authority, David often do, David messes up and he commits adultery, he commits murder. But David is different. Not only does he confess it, as I said last week, he records it in two psalms for the entire world to know what he did wrong and the path he has taken back to God. What is that? That's meekness. Meekness is owning your stuff. What I want you to understand is meekness and competence, meekness and talent, meekness and authority, meekness and wealth are never mutually exclusive. Meekness, rather, is your attitude about your competence, your, your giftedness, your, 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 your status. It, it, it's your attitude about it born in your Christ-centeredness, born in your view of God. And what is so very interesting and why this little beatitude that seems kind of odd is such a big deal, you go through the Old Testament, you go into the New Testament, what you discover, every biblical hero, every biblical character strong in his or her faith is characterized by meekness. So Jesus says, really in some ways summing up the biographies of the Old Testament, blessed are the meek. And what is it? Well, it has a Godward dimension and it has a, a, a manward dimension. And, and so I, I say, Rob, why is it that you find this statement so odd, weird, different? Well, why don't we talk about it more? Now, interestingly, of all the illustrations, of all the incredible biblical stories that we could mine that get to meekness, uh, none is more important, none is more vivid than the meekness in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. So look at these verses from Matthew chapter 11. Jesus is speaking and he says, come to me, we're familiar with this, all you who are weary and burdened that I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me why. Well, Jesus says, because this is who I am. Who is Jesus? I am, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, that word gentle is the, the Greek word behind that word is the same Greek word behind the word meek in this beatitude. They're two sides of the same coin. They're, 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 they're synonyms. Uh, gentleness is the face of meekness. Uh, gentleness is the, the face of humility. And it, 
when we look at all these incredible biblical characters, I mean, Abraham, Moses, David, I mean, Paul, who said over and over in his epistles, man, I, I'm the least deserving, I'm the chief of sinners. Uh, man, we come to Jesus, and Jesus says, you know what? I'm meek. I'm gentle. I'm humble. And I long to give you rest. We are meek. I, I, I want to be meek. I, I want to be more meek because Jesus is meek. And, and you show me a good marriage. I mean, a good marriage that has been a, a good marriage over uh, a period of time, a long period of time. You show me a healthy office environment. You show me a healthy extended family, and, and I'll show you a, a, a marriage and an office, a, a family where there's been at the core meekness. Blessed are the meek. You see, meekness is this inner disposition of gentleness, of modesty, of humility, of compassion, of, of kindness that, that causes you to refrain, to pull back from harsh words, uh, from angry outbursts, uh, from emotional, physical uh, abuse. And man, you pull back. Uh, you don't give sway to that. Uh, no matter how high you climb the corporate ladder, no matter how much authority you have, uh, no matter how busy your life, no matter how difficult, no matter how deep in the core of your being you feel I have been shafted. Because you know that you are not the king, that Jesus is the king. And your King Jesus is gentle, meek, humble, and kind. Now that's what meekness is in the Bible. It's how we see it. It's what we see in, in Jesus. And so it raises this question, well, well, how in the world do we acquire meekness? How, how do we get there? What's the key? And Jesus tells us. Let's put this verse back up. Go back to Matthew 11. The key is in the first word, or the first three words. Come, come to me. The key to acquiring meekness is coming to Jesus and keep coming to Jesus each and every day of your life, each and every situation you find yourself in that's a crazy maker. We come to Jesus. So the key to meekness is the centrality of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus is at the center of your life, when people peek in, when people look in, when your life leaks, you know what they're going to see? They're going to see meekness. And when you're at the center, they're not. Because your life is fundamentally about you. Now, because the Bible has so much more to say about this subject than we realize, I want to demonstrate this from the Old Testament, from actually an important Old Testament passage in light of this beatitude. So turn to the uh, Psalm of David, Psalm 37. We're going to look at several verses, so I'm not going to put this up. But what I want you to understand is there's a verse in Psalm 37 
that forms this beatitude. It's verse 11. So what Jesus is doing in this beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 37, verse 11. What does it say? It says, but the meek will inherit the land. There it is. The meek will inherit the land. Uh, But what I want you to see isn't that. I want you to see a couple of the verses preceding. And what David, uh, speaking autobiographically, says about the centrality of God in his life as the key to, to meekness. Now, this side of the cross, we say the centrality of Jesus because the entire Old Testament points to Jesus. Even David's life points to Jesus. So let's back up. I got to get to Psalm 37 here. And let's begin in verse 3. And I want you to notice how, how central God is in David's life. So David says, trust in the Lord, do good. Dwell in the land, enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness to shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. It's going to happen. It's going to continue to happen. And sometimes it's going to be really bad when it happens. And then we have verse 11. So look at these verbs, trust, delight, commit, be still, wait patiently, stop fretting. Now taken together, what they do is they overwhelmingly describe, they paint a picture of how central, how primary God was in David's life, Jesus was. If I can say that. Uh, What this shows us, what Psalm 37 shows us, is the centrality of Jesus Christ in the life of the meek. And if you jump over to verse 29, it's very interesting. Instead of the word meek, we have the word righteous. Because the meek are fundamentally righteous. God is central in their lives. So meekness isn't something you and I conjure up. It's a function of trusting and depending upon, delighting and pursuing, waiting upon Uh, Jesus because we know he is my king, my lover, my friend. And I may not like this, but he'll see me through because he's in control. Now question, who lives like this today? Answer, people who know by experience that their Jesus is unexpectedly kind, unceasingly kind, gracious, safe, secure, they understand that, that, G, uh, that Jesus is not the FedEx, uh, UPS delivery person. Uh, Jesus is not an old school delivery boy that we go to when we need uh, you know, something big, the real goods like um, 
we got a health problem, a health crisis, a health scare, or we need an answer to prayer. There's a family dynamic or financial dynamic. Dynamic. We need problem resolution. That's the real stuff. And, and Jesus is kind of, Jesus is not a means to an end. Jesus is the end. Right? I mean, think about this. There is no one more precious, no one higher, no one better, no one more enjoyable to God the Father than God the Son. No one. And if that's true of God the Father, shouldn't that be true of us? And what Psalm 37 tells us, which is the Old Testament background for this beatitude, is it was for David. David was a man who lived out of centeredness. God was at the center of his life. Not his power, not his authority, not his stuff. And it was that way for Abraham and Moses and Jonathan. And on and on. They were meek, strong, but subdued. They were humble. They were gracious. But honestly, our modern problem with all of this is, if we're really honest, we sort of find Jesus boring. We get bored with Jesus. And we mistakenly believe that the the real stuff of life is accumulating more and newer and better, more trophies, more this, more that, more travel. And our boredom is a result of our blindness. And as the world around us spins out of control, uh, we know something is wrong, but we come to this beatitude where Jesus says, blessed are the meek, and we think, well, you know, that's just kind of odd. And the truth is, you and I get bored with Jesus. And he's not the center. And we have a meekness problem because we have a Jesus problem. And knowing that, Jesus says, Matthew chapter 11, come to me. Keep coming to me. I am gentle, I am meek, I am humble, and you will find rest. The only place you will ever find rest for your souls is in Jesus Christ. And what is Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29? Jesus is saying, you will find me to be unexpectedly kind kind, unceasingly kind. And you will be different than the people around you because you will live your life under the continuing smiles of God. And like David, you'll trust in his power, you'll delight in his presence and delight in his grace. And you, no matter how busy you are, man, you're going to carve out time. You're going to be still before the Lord. And when you go through life, you know what you're going to do? You're going to open your eyes and you're going to see God around you. I mean, we need to do this. We need to go sit down in our backyards 
and, and leave our cell phones in the car, in the kitchen, or someplace, and close our computers, and get unattached. Or we need to take a walk in the park and, and look and see what God is giving us in the spring, in springtime right now. What is he doing? It's a metaphor for the resurrection. It's a metaphor for the new life, for the growth that he offers us in his son. And you and I say, I don't see the presence of God. Open your eyes. I mean, the, the, Psalm 36 tells us God has given the mountains, us the mountains to point to his majesty. He's given us marriage to point to the union between Christ and the church. Uh, well, I'm bored. No, you're blind. And you're walking through life blind. Slow down, for Jesus' sake, slow down. Be still. And look around, Jesus is everywhere. And would you please, would you please, well, let me say it this way. If you do that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to stop complaining because you're going to bask in the blessings. What is complaining? Well, complaining, in light of what we're saying today, is the refusal to come. It's a refusal to, to come to Jesus. It ignores his presence. Okay, so how do we experience the blessed, the happy life that Jesus freely offers to all of us? Jesus says, by meekness. Well, how do we acquire that meekness? Jesus says, come. Have you come? Are you coming to Jesus? Will you come to Jesus this afternoon, tonight, Monday morning, Friday night? Okay, finally, and I'll conclude with this. Why is this such a battle for us? Why is it that these Beatitudes, these first couple of Beatitudes, uh, just seem weird, odd, uh, different? Why more exception than norm? And there's a lot of answers, but I just want to focus on one. I want to zero in on one, and that is we have a problem interpreting our problems. You have a problem interpreting your problems. I have a problem interpreting mine. You see, if you are God's child, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are never, ever, ever outside of God's cares, God's sovereign care for a nanosecond, not once. But God's care, God's compassion, God's love comes in a variety of shapes and sizes, flavors and colors. And one of the main is trouble. Problems. Work problems. Marriage, family, kid problems, health problems, friendship problems, uh, financial problems. But if you look within and, and you capture just a moment where you're going through some uh, deep weeds and some problems and you see problems, or if you compare yourself to other people and you see they have less problems, you know what you often conclude is that the evidence suggests God doesn't care for me because you're problem-centered. But the Bible was given to you to give you peace in, in, in the face of pain. Because the Bible teaches that, that God uses trouble to tame you, to shape you, to harness you. He uses problems to perfect you. To make you unique. 
And the difference, the difference between the person who is meek and the one who is angry has nothing to do with circumstances. It has nothing to do with competence. It has nothing to do with stress. It's just that the person that is meek sees trouble as a divine tool of care in the hands of our loving Father who knows what's best for us in order to get us to rest. And the other doesn't. And the real joy in life isn't what happens to you, it's what happens in you. As you become meek because you are centered on Jesus. And as you walk through life knowing that one day, one day, as a, as a child of God, I'm going to inherit the new heavens and the new earth. And that will be my domain, my dominion. And after we've been there, pick a number, 500 trillion billion years, there will not be one of us that has ever been bored for a second. Blessed are the meek. You will, you will, you will inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you now, and as we worship, would you speak to us? Would you give us the grace to hear that we might, that we might change that we might be different because we have met Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. In light of this truth that we've